0: Praise the Lord and the Lord good. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, get them fired up, Billy. Yeah. What a good God. What a good God. Well, hey, as you guys are making your way to your seats, I just want to say how much, first of all, I love being your pastor. I do. Man, I consider it the honor of my life. And I love, love, love getting to teach you God's Word. I wish you guys could get a sneak peek of what takes place on a Saturday night when I'm studying and praying. Because there's a little section in my office where I've worn the carpet out, just going back and forth, just praying for you guys, praying over the service. And I'll tell you, I have thoroughly enjoyed teaching this series, Unhindered. Have you guys enjoyed the Unhindered series I have to say that whenever we started this series back in August, um, I had no idea that it was going to end up taking this long to teach it. But kind of like many facets of life, understanding and valuing everything fully often requires more time than anticipated. And this has definitely been the case for this series going through the book of Colossians. And so let me just say that today's message is going to serve as the caboose, if I can call it that, for this mes- message series. And um, if you are just joining us, first of all, thank you. Can we j- just encourage all of our guests that are here today, how much we love them, let them know how much we love them. We, we tell you, we value you being here. We value you being here. And uh, let me just tell you that we have been exploring the book of Colossians, where we've been going uh, just chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we're coming to the end of this series today. And in chapter 4, Paul begins to wrap up his letter. And in his final verse, he offers us one more truth for us to consider before he pins that closing salutation. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with us there to the book of Colossians, chapter 4. But in Colossians 4, verse 6... He says this, let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you sent your word to heal our diseases. Thank you, Lord, that your word is a light into our feet, it's a lamp to our path. So God, I thank you today, Lord, that your word is going forth. I pray that today our hearts would be found as fertile soil by which the seed of your word would be sown. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church, your body, we pray in Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen. Amen. I think it's significant that we recognize the last thing that Paul writes here before his closing salutation because it's emphasizing the importance of the words that we speak. King Solomon wrote in Proverbs 18.21 that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, I want you to think about that just for a moment. The words that we speak have power. They have great power. They have power to build up, but they also have the power to destroy. I don't think that I have to Work very hard to try and convince you of that truth. Because if you've ever had anyone say something to you like, you're worthless, you're a failure, you're never going to uh, amount to anything, or you're just not good enough. I mean, maybe it didn't come out exactly like that. I mean, maybe they said it a little more subtly. Maybe it came out more like, why can't you be more like your sister? Or you're just like, your father and his father those are words that hurt, that bring about death but on the flip side there are also words that bring about life and that bring about healing words like "I love you I believe in you. you are so smart and talented. I often say to Jody, uh, I choose you a thousand times over and when I know all, right, um, put, a, put that on a Hallmark card, right? And uh, when I say those words, what I begin to notice is this appreciation, this sense of worth, and this joy visibly increase. Why? Because our words have the power to uplift and to bring life. And so whatever Paul says that we need to make sure that our speech is always with grace, he's essentially telling us that we need to choose our words carefully and to choose our words thoughtfully. And so what I would like to do this morning in this last message of this Unhindered series is to talk to you about the importance of your words. Now, if you're taking notes, I only have two points this morning. You can write down this first point, and that point is this. Our words function like a thermometer. Now, what's a thermometer? Well, a thermometer, it gauges the temperature of an environment. And our words measure the temperature of our hearts and our minds. They reveal our inner feelings and attitudes as well as the overall climate of our interactions. Let me guys ask you something. How many of you have ever been on a blind date? Would you raise your hand? Okay. All right, a few of you. Yeah, it's kind of like, you like me, the blind date. You're probably like, yeah, I kind of want to forget that, right? Well, when I was in college, I went on a blind date. Now, I had already seen the picture of the person that I was going to go on a date with because that was before smartphones and before you could just see the picture, so someone had to actually bring me a Polaroid. And um, <laughs> Dating myself there, but um, I knew that she was attractive. I already saw the picture. But when we went on this date, within 10 minutes, I was ready to end it. Why? Because while she was pretty on the outside, her words didn't line up with her outer beauty. Like she had a potty mouth and was thinking of herself way more highly than she ought Her words were a thermometer that showed me what was in her heart, much different than the woman that I ended up marrying, who is now going to be my wife of 27 years, and who, yeah, Yeah. I got a few things to say about marriage now. (laughs) By the way, who I married, and to this day, I have never heard say one cuss word. Anyone in this room ever heard Jody Tomlinson say a cuss word? Raise your hand because you're a liar if you raise your hand. <laughs> you know why? Because cuss words are not in her heart. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 45 For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why I said the mouth serves like a thermometer. But now here's the thing that you need to know about the majority of people that you encounter they're passive. And what I mean by that is they typically don't say what it is that they're really feeling or thinking, but (laughs) in our generation, social media has now opened the floodgates for people who ordinarily wouldn't say things that they're thinking, but now they'll put it out there in a post for their whole world to see. How many of you guys ever seen someone post something on social media and you thought, wow, I cannot believe that they just said that? That's none of you, right? Because, I mean, we, we never do anything like that, right? I mean, none of us ever get out there on social media and say things that uh, we, we want to say and, and complain. I mean, but here's the thing, and, and I'll be the first to confess, I'm guilty. Like, I'm telling you, I have been. I am quite certain, because I searched my heart on this, I'm quite certain it has not been too awful long ago that I hopped on there and started complaining about how much my insurance premiums have went up. And about how dumb I think taxes are. But here's the thing. What are those posts accomplishing? I mean, are they promoting life or are they promoting death? Here's the next thing. See, what I've found is that usually when someone complains, it starts a chain reaction. Which was one of the reasons that complaining is so dangerous. As a matter of fact, just this week, I saw a social media post that had went viral. And guess what the post was? Someone complaining. And in the thousands of comments that was below that post, everyone else started throwing out their complaints. Many of which had nothing to do with the original post. And guess what? Not a single person walked away feeling uplifted or better after reading the post or the comments. (laughs) I read something Bill Johnson said uh, years ago that challenged me on this issue. He said, complaining proves nothing but that you you can hear the voice of the devil. See, one of the ways that we often speak death is by complaining. As a matter of fact, the primary way that most of us destroy our faith is by complaining. What do I mean by complaining? Well, let me me define it this way. Complaining is the repeated voicing of your dissatisfaction over the situation that God has placed you in. Okay, let me make sure that you heard that because I only heard one hmm. Maybe that was you not wanting to give an amen because inwardly you're saying, oh me. But let me make sure you caught that. Complaining is the repeated voicing of your dissatisfaction over the situation that God has placed you in. And here's the problem of when we complain it cuts you off from your future. Hey, you don't complain in the wilderness when you've got your eyes on the promised land. Y'all with me this morning, church? Now, understand that Satan, he's going to come along, and he's going to tell you that there's no way out of your wilderness, and that you're going to die there. But God says, follow me. I have a promised land for you. And then watch this, you get to decide who you're going to agree with. But when you complain, you agree with the devil that your future is cut off. Now, I want you to consider Jesus, who is our perfect example. He never once complained on the cross. Why? Because he had his eyes fixed on the outcome. That's why the scripture says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Church, complaining is dangerous because it causes you to doubt God's goodness for the present. Like when you complain, you you basically say to God, God, I don't like the route that you have mapped for my life. It's an accusation against God that his plan for you is not a good plan. Let me say it this way. Complaining is putting a period where God has a comma. It's saying, well, this is the way it's always going to be. And it totally negates the truth that God says, no, I have a promised land that is to come. Listen to what Romans 8, 28 says. It says, and we know. Do you know? I said, do you know? And we know that for those who love God. Now, this doesn't apply for the world. And so don't take the scripture out of context and think that that just says, well, God's just going to work everything for good. God does not work everything for the good. God works all things together for the good for those who love him. It's those that love God that he works all things together for the good. So make sure you don't cut that part out because I hear people often quote that scripture and they miss that. We know that those who love God, all things work together for the good. If people are loving the devil, guess what? Things ain't going to work out for the good, if I can put that in context, right? For those who are called according to his purpose. See, if there's something that doesn't look good in your life, he isn't finished yet. But in the process, we've got to be sure that we don't agree with the devil and complain. Let me say this one last thing about complaining. Complaining causes unbelief to deepen and to grow. Understand that unbelief is like a seed. If you water it, it will grow. And every time you complain, you are watering your unbelief. Think of it like this. What happens whenever you're underwater and you open your mouth wide? Water comes in, right? Well, in the same way, whenever you open your mouth to complain, unbelief floods in. See, I found that sometimes the best thing that I can do to stay in faith is to keep my mouth shut. Are y'all with me? I know that some of you guys, you never have a problem with saying things that you shouldn't, but I'm not perfect like you. I know that I've still got some room to grow in this area. Come on, how many of you know that no one is perfect and we all Need some growth in this area We all have room for growth And by the way that's why I'm spending a little bit more time On this point right here I mentioned to you the the, the wilderness And we all go through times of wilderness And of course when I mention it I'm sure that you're thinking of the children of Israel When we reference the wilderness And of course that is what I'm kind of talking about As a parallel But let me just remind you In regards to that of the children of Israel and going through the wilderness. Do you remember what God said to them when they complained? Let me read it to you. It's the book of Numbers 14, 27 through 29. The Lord says, I have heard the complaints that they are making. Say to them, Just as you have spoken, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses surely shall fall in the wilderness. They spoke death, and God said, Death you shall receive. Now, maybe you're thinking, Wow, <laughs> that's pretty harsh. But it wasn't God that did it. It wasn't God as the one who said it. They were. They pronounced their own death sentence by complaining. So you see why this is such an important pivotal point here that we need. To adhere to and follow let's go back to our first point one more time our words are like a thermometer they measure what's deep in our hearts if complaints are in our hearts and that's what's going to come out of our mouths if gratitude is in our hearts then that's what's going to come out of our mouths see what's in us is what comes out of us So that means that maybe we need to do a little close examination of what it is that we are absorbing. And make no mistake about it, church, all of us are absorbing. We are all putting in something into our lives. I mean, everything from the conversations that we allow, to the music that we listen to, to the books that we read, to the shows that we watch, we are all allowing things in, things that are either Promoting life or promoting death? Now, I want you to consider something, if you will, because a lot of people may hear a message like this, and they think, well, um, I'm pretty much just putting in good things. I mean, sure, I allow this or that, but it's not really that much. Like, not too much to really affect anything. But your Bible says in Galatians 5.9 that a little leaven, Leavens the whole lump that means that all that it takes is just a small amount to affect the whole Think about it like this Have you ever been in a situation? So many examples came to my mind pastor Daniel when I was thinking of this and They're coming to my mind now, but I'm sure that they'll enter your mind as well Have you ever been in a situation where let's say you were having a great conversation just Maybe there's a group of you, and everything's just going wonderful. Maybe even an hour or two has gone by. But then someone says one sentence, and it changes the atmosphere. How many know what I'm talking about? Several years ago, I was in a meeting that was just absolutely incredible. I mean, I'm telling you, the spirit of the Lord was there. Like, we were just all filled with joy, and the joy of the Lord was on every person in that room, except one person. Don't worry, it wasn't any of you. <laughs> See, that person, they weren't focused on all that God was doing in that moment. They were focused on themselves. And though we had been in a meeting that, honestly, was a couple of hours, that person made one comment. That changed the entire atmosphere. Church, listen to me. Look at me. Don't be that person. Don't be. Be the exact opposite of that. Be a thermostat. Be the one who positively changes the atmosphere of the room. Which leads me to my second point. Write this down. Our words also function like a thermostat. Now, a thermostat is completely different than a thermometer. Whenever I was a kid, there was a few words that I used to always get confused, and those were two words. I never could get the thermostat or the thermometer uh, together. So if that's you and you're like, yeah, I'm going to help you out because it took me, I think, in my 30s till I finally grabbed a hold of that. But the thermometer, a meter measures. There you go. That's going to help you. You're welcome. All right, we'll see you next Sunday. But, uh, <laughs> but a thermometer, the meter measures. But the thermostat, the stat sets the state or it sets the status of something. You see, your words can set the state of the environment that you're in. Did you know that? Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. When I lived in Roswell, and I was in a a restaurant one time with a friend of mine, and I got to see what we're talking about right here in action. There was some guy who was at the restaurant's bar. He sat pretty close to us, and he um, thought that my buddy was staring at him. And so he said to my friend, he says, hey, bro, what are you staring at? And my friend, who was honestly just daydreaming and didn't realize that he was staring at the guy, looked at him and he said, oh, just like that too. He goes, oh, I was just checking out your shirt, man. He says, I really like it. He goes, sorry about that. And then, how many know that changed the atmosphere? The guy says, oh, well, thanks, bro. I appreciate that, man. Hey, man, can I buy y'all beer? Well, we don't drink, but, but anyway, let's... And here's, here's the interesting thing, because I, I, I was thinking about this story, and I said, there's probably some guys here thinking, yeah, right, um, your buddy just didn't want to get his butt kicked. But here's the thing that my buddy that I was with, I mean, he had only been saved for a few years, and this cat was a scrapper before Jesus. He would have dusted that dude. I'm telling you, I know how to size up guys pretty good, and he would have dusted him. But watch this, Jesus had changed his heart, and so what was in his heart was what came out of his mouth. You see church, when you what you speak today will become a reality tomorrow. That's why it's so critical that we guard our words because our words have the power to shape our future. In James chapter 3 verses 3 through 5 the scripture says, "If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and Driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. This scripture drives home an important truth, that where our mouth goes, our life goes. And I love the imagery that James gives us here. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to go ahead and let the cat out of the bag right now and just let you guys know that our next series is going to be the book of James. All right? Are you excited about that? I'm already getting prepared for it. It's going to be exciting. So I'm not going to talk too much about this because eventually we're going to hit this again in our next series. But watch this. If you've ever ridden a horse, any horse riders in here? All right. A bunch of city folk. All right. Okay. (laughs) You know that In whichever direction you pull the bridle, like you could pull it one way and, and whatever way you pull that horse's head is going to turn and then its body inevitably is going to follow. Well, this is precisely the imagery that James is using to illustrate the power of our words. Just as a small bridle can control and direct a powerful horse, so can our words. Words, though they may seem so insignificant, they have great influence over the direction of our lives. For all of you history buffs out there, I'll I'll, I'll give you this illustration. In 1941, there was a German battleship called the Bismarck. Now, I didn't say Bismarcky, I said the Bismarck. Although if you know who Bismarck is, then that means that we could probably be be good buds. Like six people knows what that is. Oh, baby, you. Help me out, Daniel. God, what my I need? <laughs> but okay, I won't sing no more. All right. But we ain't talking about Bismarck, and Chris, get back on point. We're talking about the Bismarck, the Bismarck. The Bismarck was one of the biggest and baddest ships during Europe at this time. And man, this ship was ruling and destroying anything and everything that got in its way. But in one engagement, an old British torpedo boat, it happened to hit the Bismarck's rudder. So the ship was unable to direct its path. So rather than being able to return to its occupied France, it did a big circle, and it ended up in hostile territory. And on May the 27th, 1941, the mighty Bismarck was sunk, all because of this small rudder. Here's the point to this illustration. The rudder of our mouth determines whether or not we will fulfill our mission. At the beginning of my message, I quoted eight, uh, Proverbs 18, 21, which says that death and life are within the power of the tongue. And I found something interesting when I did a word study on the word death, because the word death in the Hebrew it is the, the word maveth, maveth. And it's the same word that we find in other places in scripture, like, for example, in the book of Job, chapter 28, in verse 22. Listen to what it says. It says, destruction and death, maveth, destruction and death say, we have heard the fame thereof with our ears. Now, stay tuned in here for a moment, okay? Because the Bible talks about there being a spirit of life, But it also talks about there being a spirit of destruction and a spirit of death. Now, this isn't figurative language that we're talking about here. These are real spirits. So when the the scripture says that the power of life and death, or maveth, lie in the tongue, it's saying that our words give power to those spirits Church, this is a huge truth that you need to know. You see, what happens in the natural is a mere projection of what's taking place in the spirit when we use our words. Hey, why do you think that there's such a push to take one nation under God out of our pledge of allegiance and in God we trust off of our currency? I can promise you that there is more happening there than what you see on the surface. Now, for the critics who would say, no, pastor, that's just the separation of church and state. No, let's call it for what it really is, what they're really trying to accomplish, which is separation of God and state. Because it does not say one nation under destiny church. Or "in destiny church we trust. It says one nation under God, and in God we trust. What they're really trying to separate is God. And by the way, that's not a political statement. That's a spiritual statement. God help us if they ever get their way and accomplish their goal. What's my point? Words matter. Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 36 and 37. If you don't catch anything that I, I, I land at you today... Grab a hold of this. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment. Man, this is Jesus, y'all. So even if you've got some qualms against Paul or James or any of those guys, this is coming. This is red letter talk. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every. I'll answer my own altar call today, don't worry. For every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Now, there's grace. I thank God for his amazing grace. But the point here is this, is that our words, they can be used negatively or our words can be used for positive change. As I was preparing for this message, I said, and I recalled things that were spoken to me decades ago. I had the privilege of meeting the great and late Dr. Miles Monroe back in 1994, which was about 30 years ago. And Miles told me a story that has stuck with me uh, all throughout my life. I'm I'm not going to tell the story uh, right now, maybe for another day. But at the end of the story, he looked at me and he said, son, you are valuable. No matter what anyone else says Now I already knew what god's word said And yes, that alone is enough but i'm just saying that there is power in words Especially when it's someone that you really admire I remember pastor jerry saying to me close to 20 years ago He said chris one day You're going to make a great senior pastor Now, I had already known the calling that was on my life. God had revealed that to me um, early on in in my walk with Christ. But hearing those words from my pastor brought life to that calling. For that matter, my wife, uh, during our first few years of ministry, she would keep a notepad with her every time I would go and preach. And if I would ever use a filler word, this is why you rarely hear me say a filler word, like, um... Um, you guys know people that do that I, I get zoned out. I'm sorry. That's a little pet peeve But when people do ums every other word so but I used to be that guy I'd be like um and um, you know, and um, and so she would write it down. She'd be like 26 times <laughs> And so then I would go back and listen to the tape Yes, I did say tape not even the cd because this is predating <laughs> cds I wasn't cool enough to hone a cd player at that time And I found that she was right not only that she would also write down any grammar that I used incorrectly, and she'd tell me what they were. Now, I never asked her to do that, and honestly, at first, I didn't like it when she did until one day she said this. Watch this. She said, Chris Tomlinson, she says, one day, you're going to speak to thousands. She says, that's why I'm telling you, How many of you know that I didn't mind hearing those critiques once she said that? Church, we're talking about speaking words that are helpful and beneficial. And understand this. When we talk about speaking life, sometimes saying the hard thing is the life-giving thing. Are you hearing me? It's not always the easy thing. So don't just think, oh, I'm just always going to say this. When He's talking about putting salt on there and that's what Paul's talking about here to season it with salt I mean sometimes when you throw salt in someone's mouth that's going to make them thirsty and when you say that word out of love because we got to speak truth in love Paul tells us that but you speak that to them it will just begin to ignite something within them of change change that ends up being life giving now maybe you're here and You're thinking, well, I really don't have anyone in my life, pastor, who speaks life-giving words to me. Well, if that's the case, you might want to reevaluate your company. Or better yet, let me introduce you to some new friends. But let me just bring one last thought to your attention before I bring today's message to a close. Even if... You feel like you don't have people in your life who can speak words of life over you. You can speak those words over yourself. Are you hearing me? I know that this may be a new concept to some of you, but the truth is we speak to ourselves all the time. They just may not be in audible words. See, even if I don't have anyone to encourage me, I can always encourage myself. In 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6, the Bible says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. You say, what does that look like? It means that we speak truth to ourselves. It means that we speak to our identity, our worth, and we see our purpose through God's eyes. We remind ourselves of his promises, of his faithfulness, and of his unwavering love. Practically speaking, if I ever find myself thinking that I'm not good enough, then I start speaking out and declaring the promises of God. Promises like Isaiah 43, 1, which says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If I find that I'm sick, I don't have to allow that sickness to rule and reign over my body. I can use my mouth and declare the promises of God in 1 Peter 2.24 that says that by his stripes I am healed. By the way, notice that when it says healed in past tense, it is past tense. But that past tense, then when we declare it, takes on a present reality. In other words, Jesus has already paid the price, but we now are the ones who are the recipients of that promise, but we have to declare that promise as our own. When I go to my dad's house, I know that I can go and get anything that I want out of that refrigerator. We are children of God. Forget not his promises to us, the scripture says. Here's another one. If I ever find myself in a situation where Fear tries to grip hold of me. Once again, I use my mouth and I declare out loud the promises of God that's written in 2 Timothy 1.7, which says, God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And if you think this doesn't work, then you're not applying it. Because I remember the day that I was driving home from Bible college, and I was driving down Interstate 75, and it was coming down a torrential rain, and the tires on my car were as bald as a basketball, and every time that I would go about 40 miles an hour, I would start hydroplaning. Trucks would come running up on me or go flying by me at double the speed limit. It was in that moment because it seems like yesterday that my car was filled with fear as thick as a fog machine in the 80s rock concert. That's what I'm telling you. Then I heard a voice, a voice that was not God, that said these exact words, Today is your appointed time to die. And here's the crazy thing. I was starting to believe it because it was an overwhelming feeling. Maybe you've been there before, but then something came up from deep within my spirit. You see, this is why David said to hide his word in you. Those mornings that you read the Bible and you said, I don't feel like I got anything out of it, you're sowing a seed. That seed doesn't return to God void. You might not need it then. You're going to need it later. Something rose deep down from within me, and I spoke out loud at about this same tone. God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And I'm telling you that, boom, that spirit left that car just like that. Just like that. As a matter of fact, this is another story for another day, but I pulled over to the next exit, finally came to an exit. Called my parents. I asked my dad. He remembered the story. I told him about it this morning. And he said, go ahead and get a room. I'll pay for it. Don't worry about it. We'll get those tires fixed tomorrow morning. And then I went in and and checked in. And the hotel clerk gave me my key, which was room 119, which means nothing to you. But it meant everything to me because room 119 was my actual address at my dorm in college. And that moment was a moment to mark me that night, because just as thick as that, what felt like smoke in my car, it was 10 times thicker in room 119 that night, because God showed up, and his presence was in that room, so strong, you all, I never planned on telling this story one day, but I was face down, because the presence of God was so strong, now, if you've never felt the presence of God like that, and that doesn't make sense to you, look, I get it. It doesn't make sense to the rational mind. There's some things you just have to experience, especially when it comes to the things of God, because you're never going to figure out the things of God. But I'll tell you this. We can experience the presence of God. You can experience the presence of God. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because that night could have gone completely different. I could have agreed with what the devil said or I could have agreed with God. Friends, let me tell you something. You will never, never regret trusting God. You will never regret obeying God. You will never regret speaking out the promises of God. And that's precisely what I'm urging you to do today. To speak life. To speak truth. To speak the promises of God over your life and over the lives of those around you. Why? Because your words shape realities and they form destinies. Are you with me? Stand to your feet with me if you would. I'm gonna ask something of you. Okay? Are you with me? I want to ask you to make a pledge this morning. Commitment. The pledge is this to only speak blessings not curses speak faith not fear remember i pray that i pray that this message i told my dad this morning i said this is a message right here that can hit everybody from not from 5 to 95 and everything in between this is one that we're always going to remember Because whenever you speak life, you're given power to the spirit of life. Whenever you speak death, you're you're given power to the spirit, to Maveth. Speak blessings, not cursing. Speak faith, not fear. Speak love, not hate. Church, let's be the one who through our words bring light into darkness and hope into despair. I'm talking about us choosing to use our tongues, not as weapons of destruction, but as tools of construction, building ourselves and those around us in faith, hope, and in love. Amen? Bow your heads with me in prayer, if you would. Hallelujah. With your heads bowed, I just want to ask, who's here this morning and... You are not in relationship with Christ. Friend, I can promise you that being in relationship with God is the very purpose for your existence. But to have that relationship begins with recognizing our need for Jesus. You see, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's only one way that we can be put into right standing with him. 1 Timothy 2 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. If you're prepared to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'd like to just invite you to embrace this opportunity now and to join me in prayer. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of surrender. It's one that says to God, God, I need a Savior. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want to surrender my whole heart to you. If that's you, and you know you're not in right standing with God. Now maybe you're sitting here saying, Well, but but Pastor, I'm a pretty good person. Did you know that good guys don't go to heaven? Forgiven guys do. You can't be good enough, the Bible says, that our our, our righteousness, in other words, our very best efforts, they're like filthy rags before God. That means that your efforts. Your good efforts can never get you into heaven. That's why Jesus had to come and to die on the cross because we're not good enough. God set the bar high, and only Jesus was the one who could meet that standard. But the good news is you don't have to. All you have to do is believe. Put your faith in him. Surrender your life to him. Live for him. If you want to live for Jesus and not live for yourself and not live for your boss and not live for how things are happening in the economy or what's happening around the world you want to live for jesus i want you to pray with me right now with every person right now and every head bows and their eyes closed if that's you and you say i'm in i want i want to give my heart to god right now right now is the time because you're not promised that you'll have this opportunity again raise your hand put it up just raise it up where i can see it yeah yeah amen who else praise god yes yeah there's a few who else yeah 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 Listen, I want you to know, those of you that are watching online, this isn't just a message for those that are here in person. This is a message that was intended for you as well. And if you've not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to know that right now, wherever you are, you could be lying in your bed watching this on Facebook or YouTube or on your couch. I want you to know that God will meet you right there. And so we're going to pray right now this prayer of surrender. I'm going to lead you in it. You can repeat these words after me. Just make sure that you take ownership of them and that you agree with them and the bible says that if we will declare with our mouth that jesus is lord believe in our heart that god would raise him from the dead that we would be saved we would become recipients of the grace of god and become citizens of heaven hallelujah wow that's good news join me and pray in praying this prayer from the bottom of your heart saints of god that have prayed it before pray out loud as well lord jesus I confess my need for a savior. I ask you, Lord, be my savior. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from it. Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God, that you died on the cross for the sin of the world. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave just as your word says. Now I want to live my life to know you, to make you known, in Jesus' name, amen.